0: Well, hello, Chris. Hey, John. And welcome to episode five of season two of Saul Searching, the podcast that, bear with me, recaps the latest episode of AMC's Better Call Saul, the spinoff of Breaking Bad that is currently just aired, episode five of its second season. We're at the halfway point. Of the season? Yeah, we're at the halfway point of the season, the halfway point of this uh, podcast's season two. So, uh, you know, I know you don't drink normally, but if I opened a bottle of Bubbly, would you have a sip or two? Sure. How about that? Hooray. Okay, cool. Let me pop this. I hate these things. Oh, okay. No. Alright. So hold up your glass. Whoa. Whoa. I'm sorry, Chris. Okay. This is uh it's getting all over.
1: Whoa, oh god. Uh, it's all getting right. All right Geez. Uh did you shake that up? You'd think. Uh this is more
0: liquid than could have been in the bottle.
1: It's all over. Because
0: I gotta go get some paper towels. Okay. <laughs> So we are talking about episode five of season two of Better Call Saul, which is called Rebecca, directed by John Shaban and written by Anne Cherkis. I felt like this was the most feminist episode of uh, Better Call Saul or or Breaking Bad uh, all all put together. And I have a, I have notes on why, but I don't know if that impression came across for you.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because, uh, yeah, we see uh, Kim trying to rescue herself and, and finally... Uh, Doing a, what should be considered a, a great job. Right. And there's lots of little parallels and things. I'll kind of touch on it throughout because I don't want to
0: hit you with it all at first because it will sound rather uh, overthought maybe. But as we get through it, you'll see the theme... The other thing would be the title of the show. We've been, we've been noting how they relate to the content. I think this one is obvious why it's called Rebecca. Chuck's wife in the flashback at the beginning of the episode was named Rebecca. And that connects back to what I mentioned a few episodes ago about the sheet music on Chuck's piano that he was playing that had Rebecca Bois written on it as though right. the music belonged to her. And we now see that she is a, uh, a, a violinist with an orchestra, I suppose. What did you make of that? Like, A, just the surprise of seeing Chuck married. That's a detail we didn't know about. But I would also say just, were you happy to see a flashback? I actually had noted that I was ready for another flashback. And then when the episode started with one, I was like, yep, I I wanted to see more of that that, you know, recent past that we've had sketched in a bit.
1: Yeah, it was cool to see another step. It's like you can put all these flashbacks together and and make a movie eventually uh, all about the past Uh, and to see when Jimmy first came to Albuquerque and... uh, it was cool. It made you wonder whatever happened to Rebecca. Did she uh did she divorce Chuck when he started getting uh allergies to electricity and it just got to be too crazy? Or or who knows what? Yeah, I was thinking about that, like what what happened to Rebecca and,
0: and it seems like it has to have been something that went poorly for Chuck or something you know, for her her to be gone, because she seems like a very gentle, very sweet person, you know? It doesn't... Right. uh, And it seems like that you can see maybe the seeds of some kind of discord in this opening scene that I, I do want to talk about a little bit. But as far as that beginning of the episode, the way they signaled that it was the past was by having Chuck... You know, actually handling, like, you know, the the lamp, putting right. the light bulb in, changing light bulbs. What I noticed about that, looking back after hearing all the the lawyer jokes, was that the show began with a lawyer changing a light bulb. I don't I don't know if that was an intentional nod. It almost seems like it's impossible that it not be an intentional thing.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. That didn't even dawn on me until you said that. But uh, and it turned out to only take one in in reality, <laughs> not three. Right. So yeah, we see that Chuck's married, we see that he has
0: this kind of attitude that he's preparing his wife for Jimmy coming over, um, and that he's sort of preparing her for Jimmy to be kind of a bore or kind of obnoxious, and he's basically saying they need to have a a signal. And I love the reference to the Carol Burnett high sign. I know that you're a Carol Burnett fan like me, so I'm sure you appreciated that. Sure. Jimmy coming in and telling the lawyer jokes, like, who did you identify with more in that scene? Did you feel like Jimmy, or did you feel more like Chuck? (laughs) No,
1: definitely Chuck. We're we're following Chuck in that. To me, uh, although I would have liked to identify with Jimmy more, I think it, it's uh, maybe I just was not in love with the uh, lawyer jokes. But I I could see how you know he he charmed Rebecca, and uh, and she found him to be a, a perfectly nice, charming guy. Uh, but yeah, that felt kind of unfortunate for Chuck because. We know his struggles. And I guess he would want this
0: person at least to not like Jimmy and not be charmed by him,
1: you know? Right, right. Understand what's going on here, that this this guy really is not on the up and up. I think for me, it was
0: seeing Jimmy from Chuck's point of view just a little bit more. A, they weren't particularly funny lawyer jokes, and B, that is sort of an obnoxious thing to do in any... Scenario, and I don't know if I bought that this this cultured woman would be would fall for this or would think that it was charming. But I think maybe what Rebecca was responding to was this guy who was going to, you know, sort of lighten the mood and kind of puncture Chuck's bubble a little bit. But I don't know that I don't know that she saw it as doing any real harm.
1: Right, he's a fun young man who's having fun, and uh, to her that seemed just fine. But I like how it kind of it, it references. It goes back to was this just Michael McKean's uh idea that when they were kids uh jimmy always made mom laugh and he never could and that that was part of their uh part of the friction between them uh i can't remember where that came from or if we heard that from a from a a writer's theory or something but anyway that notion is out there and it sort of plays back to that to say here's here's rebecca laughing at jimmy and then the ending of of uh, chuck finally telling her a uh, a lawyer joke, and I, I thought that was a great disconnect on that, because what you would expect any time you have a, you know, you're writing that scene, someone doesn't laugh at someone else's joke, you would just have a sort of a, a dour expression or a crickets, but much more realistic to just sort of go, oh, what? Um, oh, yeah, uh, uh, you know, to like, oh, I wasn't paying attention, I wasn't ready for you to tell a joke, I didn't understand what you said, it was just a, a, a fire and a miss
0: to answer your previous question. I do think that came from Michael McKean, but I think traces of it popped up in the scene between Jimmy and Chuck last year where Chuck let Jimmy have it, some trace about their past. So I think there has to have been some collusion between the writers and Michael McKean or maybe they laid out some of those concepts. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if this year the writers are aware of Michael McKean's backstory he's created for the character and right. they've added it in because this was a perfect distillation of that exact thing of jimmy makes people laugh and chuck can't and kind of wishes he could right. like as successful as chuck is he's thinking about the one thing he can't do that jimmy can do you right. know um, which again speaks to a certain amount of chuck's uh, stick in the ass kind of ego being a problem for him um but it also when we're looking at things a little bit from chuck's point of view we have this little brother that comes over and mocks your profession and gets your wife kind of laughing at you. And then when Chuck goes to give the, the high sign, he pulls on his earlobe, his wife just either doesn't notice it or just brushes past it. Right. But we'll get back to Chuck later. I want to talk about Chuck later when we get through some of the Kim stuff, because I think what we find out about Jimmy later, or what Chuck tells Kim about Jimmy later, yeah. it really gives us much more backdrop for why Chuck already has this feeling about his brother, as far back as we've seen them interact. Yeah. I guess the next big character to talk about this episode is Kim, but I don't want to blow past this new development we have at uh, Davis in Maine, which is Jimmy has a new sort of, uh, I don't know, a babysitter, as I think he even refers to her in the episode. Erin, who we've seen in the background throughout the the season thus far. Yeah. Kind of, she's she's had a line here or there. But now we see who she really is, and we see her as this sort of... uh, I don't know, kind of a busybody, but really just kind of an efficient person who really knows the rules. How sincere do you think she is? Do you really think she's just, as she says, one associate helping another, or do you think she was sicked on Jimmy by the partners to keep an eye on him? Or do you think she was told, keep an eye on him by the partners, and they know she's going to be this thorn in his side, but in the face of it, she just believes she's there to help Jimmy, and that's just her nature, is to be so <laughs> you know, <laughs> controlling. Uh,
1: yeah, I, th- I think they did tell her, uh, hey, kind of Make sure he is following our protocols and keep an eye on him. And, uh, and that yeah, it's just her, her nature to do it in a, a little bit of a prickly way. But it's also just hard – it would be hard for anybody not to get on Jimmy's nerves because he is an independent thinker, shall we say. I did wonder, did the show make a really corny joke? There's one point where she's come
0: at him with her – she's marked up a uh, document that he wrote with all the corrections. Yeah. And then he he says these are cliffs, and she says no, those
1: are my notes. Did they make a cliffs notes joke? Oh, eh, I guess yeah. I guess it is. I think really my answer should be yes. They made a cliffs notes joke, but they really understated it. They they didn't want anybody to notice that they made it. <laughs> you might be right. And so I don't mind too bad, but yeah, it, they could have played that up, and it, it would have been uh, really a bother.
0: Well, the other thing before we jump from Jim to uh, Jim to Kim, from Jimmy to Kimmy, uh, is that I liked that they, you know, I think we've seen it before, but Jimmy is a, is a hunt and pack typist. I think that's a great detail. Yeah. So now we're getting on to Kim, because this is going to get into one of my first points on the sort of the feminism uh, undercurrent of this episode, is that Jimmy bails on Aaron, which is pretty rude and shitty, even if she's kind of overbearing. Yeah. But then the next thing you see... Is Kim not answering Jimmy's calls? And young male associates are saying, Can we just leave? You know, I, they're looking at Kim as though she's their supervisor, and maybe they're wondering why she's down there, yeah. because they know her from being upstairs. But I thought it was an interesting little note that there's Jimmy bailing on Aaron, and then here's Kim working, and she's working later and harder and, and you know, more into the night than her male counterparts are as mm-hmm. well. I just thought that was a back-to-back. It forced the comparison. Themes. Yes, theme. We should have like a gong or something that we hit when we come across a theme. Hardworking women. I just wrote in my notes: Is there a gender critique there? And we'll come back to that as the episode rolls along. But it's a little bit more pointed later. Yeah. And then Jimmy comes in there, suggesting career suicide. It seems to me like one of Jimmy's worst ideas, you know. Yet <laughs> yeah. Is that she should sue the firm? But it does show you where his right. head is at when, with regard to these this chess game that they're all part of. Like, what did you think of that moment?
1: Oh my gosh, he just is so foolish and I, that I mean, that's so crazy. And like you said, yeah, career suicide. And I've you know that he typed it up and presented it to her. I got afraid that 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 sheaf of papers would fall into the wrong hands somehow and ruin her life, so uh, I just hope nothing like that happens.
0: I thought Kim said some really important things in this scene. One was that you know she kind of scoffs at the, his offer to quit a job. That she says you've been trying to tank since day one. You know she's yeah. really calling him on his shit. But also I thought her line. Uh, she says you don't save me, I save me. Mm-hmm. You know, which is like both a really cool line for her to say in the sense of being a character with her own in control of her own situation. But it also is kind of, again, underlining that theme of he's not going to just because he's the hero of the show. And just because he's her guy, does not mean that he's going to have the answer to, to help her out. Um, I do want to get in, in a moment to something that's kind of ironic about that whole notion, but it's in a way that I really enjoy. But what did you make of that moment? Like, did you feel like at the end of that scene, you had seen things really change between Jimmy and Kim? Like, do you think he really hurt his situation with Kim by suggesting that? She she sued the firm? Like, do you think now she's just thinking he's not even as savvy as I thought he was?
1: Yeah, I don't think he necessarily made it much worse. He he came in and presented this thing and, and in the end, he was dismissed and went away. Uh, but yeah, it, just, it was just worrisome to see him continue to 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 peck at her and try to save her in, in a way that's just gonna make things worse for her situation and make her feel worse. Ugh. It's just a just a mess. And seeing her in that job, it's kind of funny. It's like the whole apparently the premise of. Uh, doc review, as they call it, is just highlighting things. It's like they have so many shots uh, throughout the whole episode where they come back and you're just seeing close-ups of highlighting, highlighting, highlighting. That's, that's like the entire... It's like her her whole job description. I do think that
0: that moment with Jimmy kind of lit a fire under Kim. I think when she said, I save me, it, it sort of wheels turning for her because she clearly could have been doing the, uh, the hustling that she later does before. She could have been trying to find these big fish for the firm. Right. I thought that was an interesting way for the show to play it, because it really felt like she kind of took the Jimmy spot of this episode. She was the one who was thinking on her feet and, and, and trying to save her ass by, by doing, you know, in her mind, it's 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 hard work. And it's, it's she's playing by the rules, but it's the same thing Jimmy would be doing. He doesn't have the rules in his favor, but he has the hard work in his favor, you know. We haven't seen Kim do anything that interesting yet, I guess.
1: <laughs> right. We haven't watched her process and they did a great job with all those cold calls of seeing just the horror that you would go through of all the you know having to say yeah i met you 3 years ago at a picnic and you know oh they they already have the uh, okay so that that was Thrown out,
0: huh? All right. Right. Well, there were two things I thought were worth mentioning about that. Uh, one was just, yes, you, as you said, great dialogue that spilled out. The other thing I thought was uh, crucial about that scene was seeing how th- she's getting hit on, you know. And again, it yeah. underscores my, my feminist theme for this episode, which is we're seeing what Kim is up against yep. and how it's different from, from what the other lawyers have to do. Um, you know, even in the opening scene when Jimmy's talking about the friends he's made at the firm, he refers to, he says, the boys and gals or the, the guys and gals. And then he says, well, and gal, you know, which both lets you know he already has his eye on Kim, but it also tells you that likely Kim was the only woman in mm-hmm. a boys club even then, you know. Mm-hmm. So it just, you're gaining more respect for what she's had to put up with and hearing these guys hit on her and seeing that she maintains her professionalism. I just felt like that was a really cool way to show, without being preachy, what a woman is up against. Yeah, Paige, an old associate or someone she used to know, comes through. You know, it's like she's not going to have get the runaround from another woman, and it's going to be a much more of, a, of an equal exchange, you know, and not have this bullshit uh, coming yeah. through it. Um, and that results in a meeting. Paige brings in the CEO of Mesa Verde Bank, and after a meeting with Howard, they leave, having had a great time, uh, and it seems like it's a great deal. And Kim is, of course, expecting to be pulled out of the cornfields uh, and... Does not happen, Howard says he's going to put Francis on this, and that Kim is too busy with doc review. yeah that was like the that was a big punch in the stomach moment for the episode. But, but what does that tell us about Howard? Because later Howard visits Chuck, and even though we see more about what Chuck's got on his mind with regards to Kim. We don't really see, like at the end of that scene, I'm seeing Chuck is someone who is looking at Kim on her own merits and actually doesn't want to see her punished. And who knows, maybe Chuck even has ringing in his ears, Jimmy's... Uh, uh please last time for please don't punish her for what I did you know maybe chuck mm-hmm. is seeing the light or he's always seen the light right what's howard's beef i mean uh, what are we going to find out because it seems like there's a story there you know as to why howard uh, is is not as sympathetic to kim as he seems
1: like he should be yeah i really was feeling like gosh why is he so hard on her but at the same time i'm not sure that there is anything deeper that would be interesting and cool to find out some little clue or history like you're proposing but i did end the scene just going well maybe he really hated uh what happened and is still really mad about it it could be as as simple as that
0: she's being held to this incredible standard and judged harshly and mistreated whereas jimmy who's guilty of doing much worse than her has gotten a great job and has held on to it do you know what i mean like it's like it made you the distance between Kim and Jimmy seems to get wider with that moment. And I would say that moment is just widened even further when Chuck shows up. Not only do we have the nice visual of wherever Chuck goes, he turns it into a period piece, you know, because you've got to have a lantern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching a Dickens uh, uh, novel or something like that. Yeah. And I like seeing the way that... The way that HHNM is converted into that, that type of atmosphere when he goes there. Um, but I, I don't know. I took this scene where he encounters Kim as he's being kind of kind to her in his way. But it hurts that he, even in that moment, he gives her a coffee order. Like he still sends her to fetch coffee for him. Yeah. You can see that she's bothered by that. Do you think Chuck wanted to talk to her already? Or do you think he said make two because he was trying to ameliorate the potential offense of asking her to go get his coffee?
1: I don't think he came into the office wanting to talk to her. He just came in wanting to work. He ran into her and then he pathetically had to ask her for coffee because he really wanted some and he can't make it himself. And so that's just kind of mm-hmm. sad. And she kind of begrudged him that but couldn't show it, you know, because she's mad at him. But then he wanted to talk to her because he did want to uh, talk about Jimmy and about the fact that she's still in the doghouse and all that stuff. And and, uh, and we got that scene.
0: I found it interesting that Kim doesn't say much, but Chuck Really unfurls a, a whole tapestry for her
1: <laughs> right, and realistically, she could have just gone, oh my God, really, oh wow, is that what happened? I can't believe this is a horrible story, but she just sat stone faced uh which saves a lot of uh time in in writing a scene, I guess, but uh it's also a little hard to believe. It makes you wonder you know, how much she believes it or doesn't believe it, uh or how much she's thinking about what she's thinking about Jimmy right now. Well, I didn't take that as
0: hard to believe. I took that as something we've seen Kim doing in the past, which is being stoic. Right. I also saw that as her realizing that she was going to learn more by listening in this moment than talking. Yeah. Um, And I also saw it as the writers cleverly making us wait another week until we see how Kim feels about Jimmy after hearing this. Yeah. The fact that she's not even getting rewarded the way Jimmy would be. Like she brought in a client that potentially could be less problematic and, and just as lucrative for the firm, I guess, as Sandpiper. Yeah. But she's not getting rewarded for it. It's like, that seems so unfair. I just don't know how Jimmy and Kim can get along after that, if that's really what's going on. It reminds me of the beginning of the season when he was in the Davison main offices for the first time, and we were seeing how posh it was. And I said, are we going to get... Is is Jimmy's entitlement going to curdle at some point for us into something a little bit more... Uh, you know, despicable, and I, I don't think the show's taken him there yet. I mean, this episode was definitely lacking a scene where Jimmy pulls uh, pulls it out of the ditch in any way. You know, he
1: doesn't seem to really appreciate being there or love it when he runs into what's his name, Bill, in the bathroom. So he's leaving the bathroom and says, "Lucky bastard," and Jimmy's just kind of left standing there. And I wonder, wonder, you know, what's he thinking in that moment? He didn't look like he felt lucky. Uh, he. You know, was he just thinking, uh, "If only you knew how I'm being followed around by Aaron, and uh, and I'm my job is on the line all the time," uh, or is he thinking, "Well"? There but for the grace of God go, I I could be here getting vomited on. Well, did you notice that Jimmy had a s-
0: seemingly had a real interest in hearing how the guy was doing and the guy just blew past to hear about Jimmy's job? Yeah. I think Jimmy's begun to internalize the very things we've been saying maybe for the past episode and a half. We started to see him thinking about the fact that he's in this great situation and he has done everything he can to screw it up and he's still there. And, you know, not just in comparison to Kim, but just in comparison to anybody, that he should feel lucky and he doesn't. I, th- I would be surprised if next week we don't see him kind of trying to either find something that matters to him or he's trying to find some way to rectify the situation with Kim. Right. Chuck is attacking Jimmy's integrity with the one person who kind of uh, believes in him or or loves him. And Is that a move on Chuck's part to kind of corrupt Kim against Jimmy the way that Chuck must feel Jimmy has corrupted everything?
1: From Chuck's point of view, it's more like letting someone know who needs to know uh, just a few more details about, about the destructive person she's with. You know, he's saying... Yep, you're in his wake, and this he does these things to everyone, and here's another example for you. You know, he's just uh, kind of giving her a, a warning that she could be in for in for worse.
0: I'm really interested to see what they do with Kim now that they have kind of deepened her, you know? Yeah. Because they basically deepened her the same way they've deepened Mike in, in last season and this season by giving him a little bit more of a showcase. Mike wasn't in this episode much, but he definitely had a few pivotal uh, things occur. What did you think of Mike in this episode, and um, h- how did you like the big reveal at the end?
1: Uh, it was fun. I enjoyed him, as always. Uh, Jimmy... <laughs> said this is my grandpa and i think aaron doesn't know whether he's joking or what and they go on and uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was really funny and then as they're driving away did you catch that he was humming the theme from rocky uh-huh. it
0: was nice to see that little intersection between the characters but otherwise what we see is that mike is dealing with the aftermath of his decision last time so i mean it seems like the thing with, with as far as stacy and kaylee it's worked out that things seem about as good as they've ever been there between him and his you know, his daughter-in-law and, and his granddaughter.
1: Yeah, well, he's giving them uh, a bunch of money and so they can eat out instead of uh, cooking that night and so on. But then, yeah, the big reveal at the end, Uncle Tio is here and he can talk uh, because this is back before his stroke or whatever. So, uh, cool to meet that character in that context. But, yeah, this, this is a crazy development. If you don't take this uh, $5,000 and go along with this plan, you're kind of You're like at war with a a Mexican drug cartel, and you're just some guy. So isn't he just going to be like, oh, boy, I think I have to go? I mean, unless he comes up with a crazy, elaborate plan, as as Mike sometimes does, uh, he might just go like, oh, well.
0: It was interesting to see that Mike has done maybe too good a job in this situation of seeming like just a regular old guy. You know, Hector— Uh, knows that he's an ex-cop, which is not something that he was advertising. But I'm saying beyond that, he seems like a guy who can get kind of pushed around. Right. So it seems like he's kind of in the middle of a situation that, I mean, really, I kept just thinking if he had just killed Tuco, he wouldn't be in the middle of the situation or not in the same way. You know, it doesn't seem like it could so easily blow back on him if Tuco were dead. And if he was anonymous. So I feel like at the end of that episode, that lingering image of Mike to me was just—it was just a, an overhang from last time where we we're saying was Mike maybe feeling a little bit like a chump for taking the beating and getting half the money, um, and now I think he's got to be feeling like a chump because he's being offered five k to now be in hot water with the law, even if he can maybe get a, a lenient treatment from the cops or whatever. But still, it's a very—it's a much more complicated situation for Mike being involved with these people in any way. Yeah. Um than it would have been and i wonder if that's just yeah that's just confirming that maybe that would be enough to push mike towards next time being more expedient uh because he's seeing the the you know financially it didn't work out and now he's got more to deal with yeah and he's on the radar of these these nuts you know these these violent criminals
1: yeah right he's tangled up with them they know who he is well what i wrote down was mike must be
0: so pissed
1: <laughs> yeah he's angry about it you can kind of see he's he, he does a little motion with his arms in the last moment that looks like he's trying to let off steam. It seems inevitable now that we're going to see Mike and
0: Nacho involved with each other, because I don't see Mike taking this deal from the Salamancas without trying to talk to Nacho first, because technically then he would be working against his his former client or employer, or however you want to think of that. He just took 25 k from Nacho to put Tuco away. If he then takes 5 k to get his sentence reduced, I feel like that's going to cause problems for him no matter what he does, you right know. Right. Uh, so that's interesting, and like I said, I'm really looking forward to seeing Jimmy think of something to kind of pull himself out and to not, maybe not help Kim, but definitely zero in on what he's what he's going to be doing because right now he seems adrift. Yeah,
1: with Breaking Bad, we got so used to uh, the real dangerous moments being the highlight. It's like this is a show about crime and about who's going to get hurt when. Uh, it's 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 just natural that that's the most exciting part, and. That's sort of already happened to me with this show, too. Even though it's about a lawyer, there's enough stuff that goes on uh, that you feel some sense of danger. Uh, and so now as Jimmy gets into this uh, uh, lawyer world and we're having a couple consecutive episodes where he's not really in any physical danger. And at least for him, we're just kind of worrying about whether he's going to keep the job or whether he can help him and so on. It's a lot closer to a normal Law show, and uh, it feels like if you do too much of that for too long, it's not uh, nearly as thrilling. Uh, But I can see it would be hard to keep, you know, the big thrills of danger constantly going. Uh, So, but you know, you just you always wonder how long are they going to go without that? Is it gonna, is it gonna start feeling dull uh, before you come back into putting? people in some real physical pinches.
0: What they've been doing is balancing Jimmy's story with Mike's story in a way that puts you in touch with the criminal element and the the world where people do end up dead. But it is true that no one has ended up dead and that we haven't had like a character that we care about get uh, injured or killed in any way that that heightens the stakes for all the other characters. Yeah. So I would say that they've done a good job of staking out a tone that is separate from that kind of immediate threat of physical violence. But it is also true that there are tons of legal dramas on the air and
1: that somehow this show is still distinct from them. It would be workplace drama or something where it's like, Oh, we're concentrating a lot on, on whether someone's going to keep their job or whether their boss is happy or, uh, whether they can, uh, figure out the, the loophole to jump through to, to, uh, stay in the job or, you know, whatever. Right. If those are the stakes, then, yeah, it starts to get like, hmm, this show doesn't seem high stakes enough to be the kind of a feeling that we've had up to a certain point. Maybe it's fallen off, it could start to feel dull. So you have to be careful to keep some stakes of, you know, can you get the million dollars and go to the Bahamas or, you know, whatever it is. There's things going on that are significant because we've been following these characters
0: in this in this style of storytelling where you see a lot of information and a lot of details and a lot of steps along the way. So I would say that what they've done thus far is set up the human drama behind the plot, maybe, once you have, say, Chuck and Jimmy's relationship explored. And at this point, we've gotten... We've seen the truth. We've seen Chuck's feelings about Jimmy. We know Jimmy's feelings about Chuck. I don't think they can keep reversing that and be interesting. At this point, there has to be some plot. I think with Kim and Jimmy, we've wondered about their relationship. We've now seen kind of both sides of it a little bit. I guess my point is, if they don't move it forward now with some of those stakes, I agree it might start to get a little repetitive or a little dull. But I just don't see these creators not being aware of that. It seems to me that they have an innate sense of how... Just how dull to let something get. Right. Where it's still thought provoking. Do you know what I mean? Because a certain amount of dullness is part of the tone of this show. You're watching so much in detail, but I think we always find the little reasons why you might have spent time with that moment or that character. It always pays dividends down the line.
1: Well, and it's the kind of dull that's good. It's like it's, it's with, along with Breaking Bad, it's like we're, we're mixing, uh, you know, a, a drug deal gone wrong with a trip to the laundromat. You know, it's like – so it's 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 still compelling. Even if it got as dull as it's gotten so far and stayed there, it would still be a pretty good show. But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, they have to watch out. But I'm sure that you're right. These these creators are smart enough that uh, they'll be throwing big things in all along.
0: All right, the, the question is, are the creators of this podcast smart enough to keep it from getting dull and then staying as dull uh, as it gets?
1: Uh, yeah, we could. We I think you have a point. We should end this uh, right about now. So, folks, just remember you can get
0: in touch with us at Saul underscore searching on Twitter, and you can email us at Saulsearching at gmail.com. Okay, hot talk. Hot talk. <laughs>